Are you curious about, interested in, or working within the field of anesthesiology and you are a woman, person of color, or otherwise do not fit the stereotypical image of what an anesthesiologist looks like, then this is the podcast for you. We will discuss what life is like on the other side of the blue drape for us. Issues most relevant, such as what is anesthesia really? And we're not talking textbook definition. Tips for applying, success in residency, life as an attending, and beyond. Join us each week as we take a dive into this rich and often misunderstood field. This is your host, Dr. Alicia Peterson, and welcome to Sivo Sisters. Welcome back to Sivo Sisters, where we demystify and diversify the field of anesthesiology all within the duration of an anesthesia break. We are wrapping up our interview with Dr. Amber Baruki. Oh my gosh, the the journey she has had has been truly remarkable. In this episode, we're going to talk about relationship, fertility issues, IVF adventures during training, and the M word. Yes, we're talking miscarriages. We're going to get into it. Now, I see a wedding ring. So at some point, (laughs) you met someone, you got married. When did that happen? During residency. So, you know, my mom had passed away my intern year and then in residency, I had a boyfriend I'd been dating and we broke up um, during my mom's illness. Actually, that was probably one of the hardest things is I started dating somebody else who was a very lovely person, but not the right match for me. But his family supported me the entire time my mom was ill. They were probably my one of my number one supporters. And after she passed, we were still together, but I knew we weren't the right fit. And I think that was one of the hardest things I've ever done is break up with him because his mom was like a mom to me and his family was actually my support. I then took some time and was single, which was a lovely period in my life. I dated. I did Match.com. It was fun. I met my current husband when I was at a wedding and he was the best man. And we literally just hit it off and never looked back. We got married. We planned everything that we got engaged while I was in residency with anesthesia. And we got married literally two, three weeks after I graduated from, from residency before I went to fellowship. So in that interim between the two. And then did he live in Chicago too? He did. He did. We spent a lot of time together. I started fellowship and he came along. You know, that's, I think another really important thing is finding a partner who's supportive of all the things that you're doing. He was able to make his job portable and he came to Boston with me. I think the the reason I was able to do some of the things I've been able to do is that he has made it work as I was moving around the country to do different trainings. Because also too, I mean, I know that your husband, he is not medicine, right? He is mm-hmm. outside of that. So what advice do you give for helping someone understand what it is that we do? And how did you get him to understand that, you know, the kind of commitment that you were making? That's a tough question because I don't know if he really knew the commitment he was making. <laughs> <laughs> to be fully honest, it's only now revealed. Um, um I think he, I mean, he, he clearly saw my passion and my drive and my ambition. And he clearly, he wanted to go into medicine and never did. He went into business instead. And so he understood, he had an idea of, of what this would look like. He's been a supporter. He's honestly, I still consult with him around any business questions because he, uh, he's got a background with an MBA. And so I'm like, Oh, what are your thoughts on this? You know, he's even looked over emails and gone, that doesn't look like corporate speak. Let's, let's rewrite this letter for you. <laughs> I think he didn't know what he was getting into, but now he does. And he's, 
he's still very supportive. So it's, it's been a journey, but it's been hard for him. I will say in times when he's got the, you know, our kids now and I come home late, you know, I don't come home till eight, nine, he's got to put the kids to bed. Definitely not a very traditional life, you know, that people are used to. One big one was you mentioned him always being a cheerleader. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, any, any partner you have who is really supportive like that, I mean, that's what you want. I mean, we, we Mm -hmm. need, overly supportive kind of partner yes. because this road is hard. And if at any point they're kind of lukewarm and they got one foot in, one foot out, I mean, that's that's a red flag because, yep. you know, times are only going to get harder. You you have to have someone who is going to be like boisterously supportive of you. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you have that. And that's really buffered some of the, the difficult times. Well, and you got married after residency and then you went to Boston mm-hmm. and I met you during our pain fellowship, but prior to that, I know you did pediatric anesthesia fellowship. At what point did you say you wanted to subspecialize in peds during your residency? I I got two months. I remember one of my attendings getting down on the floor and rolling a ball and playing with one of our patients before we went in the room. I remember how happy that was. I remember her uh, enjoy, you know, kind of playing with this kiddo and they had such a great bond. The focus on in pediatrics is so on the patient. There's no question. And, um, making the patient comfortable and, and, and playing with them and engaging them and everything we did was so everyone was committed a hundred percent, um, which felt like somewhat of a little bit different from the adult world. You know, the, the level of commitment just seemed higher to patient care, safety, everything. And I love that. Yeah, you are absolutely right. Pediatric anesthesia is a total vibe. Nowhere else are you going to be singing, you know, wheels on the bus go round and round, blowing bubbles, passing out stickers, asking them to smell different masks for their flavor. I mean, it's a total, it's it's a, it's a vibe. Can't say I'm surprised being a fellow pediatric anesthesiologist myself uh, that that would inspire you to go into it because yeah, it's just adds levity to your day. You know, you did the pediatric anesthesia and then at some point you, did you always know you wanted to do pain? So I was going back and forth between pediatrics and pain and trying to make a decision. I interviewed at uh, Boston Children's and I met a very amazing person who's still a mentor to me. And I just said, you know, this is, this is who I want to be crafted her career in pediatric pain, meeting with her, everything just solidified like, oh, I can marry the two things I've always really liked in a really great career. That was kind of it when I when I met with her and found out how she, her career, how she was able to craft her career. That was, that was it. The role of mentorship is huge. It's mm-hmm. not to be understated. You decided that's what you're going to do. You're going to do both. How did the sort of path of fellowship go? One of the things that, that I faced was my husband and I were trying to start a family. And um, during my pediatric anesthesia fellowship, I had two separate miscarriages while we were trying to start a family, which was really, really difficult to go through. Then ended up doing a consult with a, a reproductive endocrinologist, testing done and finding out that we needed to go through IVF in order to be able to have our first child, which was really stressful because a lot of there's a lot of testing, there's a lot of time commitments you have to make. You have to be able to, you know, get labs drawn and imaging done. And it's usually done in the morning. It's done around six or six 30. Generally as a, as a anesthesia fellow at the time, a pediatric anesthesia fellow had to be there at six 30, you know, and you need to be ready. And you, you, there was morning lecture and set up your room and et cetera. And so how was I going to do this? 
And I do have to say, I was very stressed out about how I'd be able to do that. A very kind um, person um, who was in the program at Boston Children's who was involved in schedule making and said, listen, I'm going to support you through this because I've gone through this myself. Put me in positions where I would start later, such as being in preoperative clinic or would ask the overnight call resident if they wouldn't mind setting up my room for me. I was going to be coming late, which I was always so incredibly thankful for. Another mentor who helped me out. So, I mean, in order for that scheduler to to be able to help you in that way, you must have told them. Did you share immediately after it happened, uh, after the first miscarriage, second one? Did you just share with them only the IVF? Like how how much do you tell? I shared with them after my second miscarriage. I actually needed to take a day off for treatment and had to let the had to let everybody know because I couldn't come in for treatment. That's I think when people started hearing a little bit more. So I shared with them, I couldn't come in. I shared with them what was going on. Um, people did check in, which was lovely. Let them know my, I let, I think I let somebody know my journey who then did share it with another senior person who did scheduling, who then had reached out to me afterwards. So I, I did share, you know, some of what was going on. I had to, um, cause I needed time off. And then thankfully the right person heard and the right person altered the schedule so that I could, I'd be able to get through IVF. When you said you told, you told your program director or? When everything happened that I needed to take time off, I had told the people who were on call that night, the attendings and everybody who was running the board, et cetera, because I was supposed to be on call. And then I did speak with some of the other females in the department because there had been other people who'd gone through this. I had some mentorship. Everybody kind of helped. It was really kind. So good. That's so good. Miscarriages are pretty devastating. And I just don't think that the medical community gives time to process that. Yeah. I luckily was able to take the one day. So that was thankful. Yeah, back to work. So you it took was, one day each time you were the first to- time I did the first time I didn't take any time. The second day, the second time I took one day because I needed to take a medication. That was a really difficult experience and needed time to be at home for that. Back to work right afterward. Um, which is obviously not ideal. Yeah, it was what it was. I would say that was that was tough. That wasn't the worst experience because I, I had a miscarriage later another time and I was on call in the hospital while I had the miscarriage and I was doing a pain call. So I was kind of rounding on patients on a on a weekend, I think it was. I started having cramping and felt not good. And I went to the ER, still holding my pager and found out I was having a miscarriage. Um still with my pager going off and answering all of the pages while I sat there finding out that was happening. Mm. Yeah. I think unfortunately some female faculty go through this and the journey and everything's not spoken about and it should be more. People don't realize all the things we go through as women in medicine, things like this happen and we carry this burden and we keep going on. Yeah. There was, there was no one who could relieve me of my duties, it seemed. So I just, I was on call. It's heartbreaking. What has changed now? that could make that situation any different. If you're on a weekend call and this happens, is there anything new that is within the system of call and training that would make it so you could get relief? And I would argue that unfortunately, there really isn't any massive improvements that we have. Because also too, this it, this is a personal it, it is a personal matter. If somebody was to ever regard you callously and say, well, you know, why can't you keep going? That would make the pain even worse. 
So it's almost like you want to keep it to yourself just so that you don't end up facing judgment and resentment from your colleagues. So there are some Jeopardy systems I understand now that you could activate, you know, in some programs, they have like a Jeopardy system where someone might be on Jeopardy that they could jeopardize if something happens, obviously super helpful. Personally, also having an environment where someone feels comfortable telling somebody this is going on. Cause like, who was I going to call? Like some, some person that I didn't feel comfortable with and tell them this was going on. And, and then they'd be like, Oh, I got to find somebody to like cover you, you know? So having an environment where you're encouraged to speak up and where there's, you feel comfortable. And I think that that's incredibly important. I think as attendings, we all have an obligation to create that. And I think if we see anything or we know about somebody struggling, we should be, can provide support. Even as small as I had a, we had a really horrible event while I was in attending once a patient unfortunately passed away, not related to our care, but their own medical issue in the middle of the night. And the resident I was working with was just, it was an emotional situation. I said, well, is there any, who, who can I call? Like, can I call someone in to come cover you? So you don't have to be on call tonight because this has been a really horrible situation. And you know, she said, no, really, there's nobody else. And I said, well, then you go to your call room and I'm not going to call you unless I absolutely need you. Our generation of of attendings and, and the climate that we have now and the environment we have now, it is on us to foster this and pass that down into the medical community. Absolutely. Tips that kind of, that came out of this really were an ounce of prevention, right, is worth more than a pound of cure. So the fact that you yourself were screening out programs that didn't seem supportive to the situation you had, I mean, we all need to screen out programs that aren't going to be compassionate, that aren't going to create this kind of environment that we're talking about that will allow us to share life together um, because we spend so much time in these places. So you did a lot of work on the front end, which was amazing. And then also uh, Jeopardy systems. So that's that's good that more programs are um, using that because I can tell you throughout my residency, I remember seeing my co-residents vomiting in trash cans uh, because they were not going to call out sick. There was no way, you know, they didn't, there, there was just no bandwidth for anybody to make up anything to, to hear that more programs are having these systems where backup is available and should be used, especially in situations that you just named. Yeah. Wow. Just our medical system just is falling so behind when it comes to meeting our needs. Uh, as physicians. I mean, we talk about patient-centered care, but it's like, we have to take care of those who take care of the patients too. And also with IVF, I mean, you mentioned there's a lot of hormones and other things. How did you respond to those? Like, were you able to like, you know, still think and do your training with all of that on board? I mean, I, I mean, that in and of itself can really affect mood and appetite and all things. Yeah. I think that probably the hardest thing was figuring out how to give yourself injections while you're on call. (laughs) You probably remember we had our fellow lounge and I kept my, you had to keep it refrigerated. So I kept my shots in the refrigerator and I'd go back to the lounge at some time when I was on call and I'd give myself my shots, you know, because it's every day you had to give your, you know, and so I, yep. Okay. I'm on call. I can't not do this. So go into the lounge and doing my injection in my hip uh, at nine o'clock at night, you know, or whatever night, whenever I got a break in the evening, I'd go back to the lounge and do my, do my injection. So that was 
that was probably <laughs> one of the hardest things is to figure out where do I put this medicine? How yeah. do I do this, et cetera, but made it work, you know? Yeah. So you just put your meds in like the common, like residency fridge or? Put it, I mean, I put it in a lunchbox and I kind of tried to, you know? <laughs> 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 but I don't know if I should be saying I did that on here, but <laughs> commit like an OSHA or whatever violation. But but I mean, that's the reality though, honestly, yeah. like there's somebody else who's keeping their stuff in a lunchbox and you yeah. know, they probably feel really awkward and weird, but what are you, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to ask your pharmacy to hold on to it. They, they're not going to be able to hold on to, you know, right. you're not a patient there. So it's like, you, you making it work at some point you got pregnant. Yep. And I have my daughter who is now eight. Um, and I've been very lucky that I have two others. I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. So it's been a really great journey. Yeah. And you got pregnant during pain fellowship. And because of that time off, that's how we met. I had to take off. Um, I had a threatened miscarriage with my first daughter. I had to go on bed rest for a couple of weeks. I was out, I think maybe only two weeks and had to have reduced activities and things like that. Did also take some time off after I had her. I had, took about 10 weeks after I had her and returned. I was in a program that was very understanding and worked with me but at Boston Children's and everybody was so wonderful and let me take, you know, take a little extra time. It meant everything. It was really wonderful. Incredible story. You've overcome some tremendous obstacles and you are again, one of the leaders in our field. Goodness. Thank you so much for these gems that you've provided us. How to navigate medical school with a, a dying family member getting pregnant and having miscarriages throughout the training. For those of us who think there's no way I'll succeed, I mean, you're a real testament. So thank you so much, Amber, for coming on. <laughs> I'd love it. Thank you so much for having me. Just wow. What a story. What a testament of the things that we can endure. Some gems I would like for you to take out of this episode is to do your due diligence in screening these training programs, screening your job, your workplace, ensuring that you're in an environment where you feel comfortable, where people care about one another and not just about getting the work done, getting the patients in and out and the churn. That's number one. Dr. Baruki had incredible mentors and supportive environments. It is because of the supportive environments Dr. Baruki had that she was able to continue on. Women are leaving medicine at a faster rate than men. Women most likely go part-time or if they leave medicine, they don't return at all. Within anesthesiology, Women continue to remain underrepresented in academics and leadership positions, academic promotion, and it's because of unsupportive work environments, lack of mentorship, childcare responsibilities. Dr. Baruki's story isn't an isolated one-time thing. I mean, this is happening across our medical landscape, and we don't have the supports in place to retain our women in medicine, which is a huge problem because more studies are coming out that patients cared for by women physicians have improved patient outcomes. I hope you enjoyed this episode of SIVO Sisters. If you love this episode as much as I did, head on over and rate and subscribe so you don't miss out. New episodes drop every week on a Monday because we all can use a little something something to get us through the week. Am I right? 
I'd love to hear more from you on the topics that you want to hear. So let me know in the comments. This is Dr. Peterson signing off. See you next time.